You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning, this opportunity to spend time in your word and to sharpen iron with one another. Father, as we look at this section of 1 Corinthians, it's with anticipation, for we are not babes in Christ. By your work, we have been instructed, we have learned by your Holy Spirit's prodding and direction to experience um, the training that comes when one seeks the Word of God and obeys it. And so as we look into your Word this morning, let it be with an eye to do that, to obey, to respond, and to to love you, to be grateful to you for all you do in our lives, for all you do for the spreading of the gospel of glory. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So who in their right mind would end a Sunday school lesson on a verse just prior to the end of the chapter? Someone with his nose so far in the book, he doesn't see the verses around him. <laughs> so I apologize for that. We ended on verse 15, and there's only one more verse in this in this chapter. Although it did seem like an appropriate ending point, so if I could transport myself back to the ninth century, maybe I would have had a talk with those Hebrews who ended the chapter at 16. But be that as it may, last week we looked at um, this section right here about uh, Christians who are not tossed around by every wind of doctrine. And I see that today. I see that. I don't know if it's more than it used to be because I, I don't really have the ability to step into different time frames and compare. But it does seem that Christians today are tossed, tossed around. They're not able to settle in on true doctrine, the truth. And some of that, most of that, is related to refusal to obey what we know. If we are given light, God will give more light as we obey that light. And so, that seems to be, at least in my mind, what seems to be going on. <clears throat> that I know in my life, as I refuse to acknowledge the things that God is trying to change in my life, remove from my life, that's a dead point. I, I'm stopped dead in the water. Uh, so, the Corinthians were doing that. They were, they knew, they had been, they had been instructed in the first things, and they were not following them. And so their, their body, their, their Christian church, their church in Corinth, Corinth there was characterized by immaturity, by anger, by court cases, by sexual immorality. And, uh, so it is with those who will not obey the light that God gives them. And especially so it is for those who will not even hear the gospel. <clears throat> so we ended up on verse 15 last week. And we're going to read a little bit here. But who is spiritual? he who is spiritual appraises all things. And, and yet he himself is appraised by no one. We talked about the fact that that was to examine or judge. And then I reminded all of us, or we were reminded that, that uh, even though non-believers can, can read and understand the, the grammar and the, and the, vowel, the vowels and the consonants of the words 
of salvation, unless the Holy Spirit draw them, it becomes, uh, they cannot understand it. And I, I read that chapter out of, not chapter, but that description out of the uh, encyclopedia about ergodic Ramsey theory. And I think it was sufficiently gobbledygook to all of us that we can make a connection there. So, today, we're going to be plunging into chapter 3. And Paul has set a... Well, I'm going to just leave that for when we get to verse 16. Let's go ahead and read um, chapter 2. And we'll start at verse 14. And then we're going to read all of chapter 3 for context. So, verse 14, chapter 2. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one, by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not able. You are not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the increase, the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it, upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it. But because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. <clears throat> if any man's work, which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. Let, so then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word, excuse me, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you and you belong to God and Christ belongs to God. You belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. I find myself as I'm reading, um, I've studied the King James for so many decades that I say King James words even though they're not. <laughs> so, increase, growth. Yeah, same thing. Verse 16 is where we're, we're taking up this morning. And, and this will end the chapter. 
We just finished talking about the spiritual and how it is that um, <clears throat> spiritual Christians discern. And then Paul goes on to say, for, I, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now that's an interesting statement. Generating even more emphasis on this idea, Paul asks the question, what natural man thinks the way God does? Men certainly have a high view of themselves and their intellect, and they believe that they could instruct God. Well, if, if the, and if I hear it so often, if the man upstairs would just do this. Well, that indicates a distance in the first place, if it's the man upstairs. But men have such a high view of themselves, they think they can instruct God. This may be a, a bit of a cut as well against the Corinthians' high view of themselves and their intellect and their philosophy. Even the believer must recognize that we only have a limited view, a very limited view. Uh, it, it, we see things, as Paul says later on, through a glass darkly. And, and, and he will bring that more to life later. Uh, do not attempt to instruct God, is what he's saying. But rather, look to Him for instruction. And we can look to Him in great anticipation because we have been given the mind of Christ. This doesn't make us spiritual geniuses. But as John MacArthur says in, in uh, uh, co uh, commentary I've been reading, the doctrine of illumination, for that indeed is what we've been talking about. It's the doctrine of illumination. How God illuminates Scripture to the mind of the Christian, helps him to understand it and to apply it through the Holy Spirit's work in your life. The doctrine of illumination does not mean we can know and understand everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29. That we do not need human teachers. It doesn't say that we don't need human teachers. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And it also does not say that study is not hard work, 2 Timothy 2.15. It does mean, however, that Scripture can be understood by every Christian who is diligent and obedient. And they go hand in hand. Diligence and obedience. Remembering, of course, now that there were no chapter breaks, Paul starts the, section from our, starts the next section from our perspective, refusing to come to the Corinthians' presence with fancy speech. And philosophical swordplay. He brought them in this chapter, Jesus Christ crucified. He wanted their faith to have its roots in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. Um, he, while he did not practice superficial, highfalutin, if you will, oratory, he did bring them great wisdom and he reminded them of the glories that were waiting for them in heaven. He finished up this chapter carefully admonishing them about spiritual versus natural. Spiritual versus natural. The basis that he has created in these first two chapters will serve well in his oncoming <laughs> lecture, if you will, about the fact that good theology, he's still going to be on this, whole, the, the, the premise, if you will, of 1 Corinthians is that good theology produces good behavior and bad theology produces bad behavior. The Corinthians were not demonstrating the good behavior. Dr. Gordon Fee put it this way. He said, the concern from here on, from chapters 3 on, will be to force them, the Corinthians, to acknowledge the folly of their wisdom, their open quote, wisdom, unquote, which is expressing itself in quarrels and thereby destroying the very church for which Christ died. Paul's concern needs to be resurrected throughout the church today. Throughout the church today. The gift of the Spirit does not lead to special status among believers. Rather, it leads to special status vis-a-vis -vis the world it's a special status against the world. But it should be so, but it should do so always in terms of the centrality of the message of the crucified and risen Savior, which 
we are going to be talking about uh, Jim's finishing up and uh, we'll be looking at Resurrection Sunday. I'm very excited about today and about next Sunday, what we're going to be learning. But it should do so also in the terms of the centrality of the message of our crucified, risen Savior. The Spirit should identify God's people in such a way that their values and their worldview are radically different from the wisdom of this age. And what I see, and I'm sure what many of you see, if not all, is that the values of the average Christian today are not radically different from the world's. We do the same things. We act the same way. We say the same things. Now, I say we in a, a general term, terminology, in the, the church in general. I don't see that here. And I'm grateful. But And I, we all struggle with it. We don't want to be odd man out in any given situation. But we are odd men and women out, aren't we? And rightly so. And properly so. Because we've been delivered from the power of this age, from the, the, the darkness of this age, into the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is different than the world's wisdom. Radically different. And its effect is to produce radically different people. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. Well, sometimes it does. <laughs> but most often, it happens by, by degrees, grace to grace, glory to glory. As you become more and more instructed in the Word of God, as you become more and more obedient to the Word of God, and you say, I can't do that anymore. I can do this. I, it's, it's a positive message, and it's a negative message in the right ways. And so, the Corinthians, when we look at chapter 3, Paul starts off, with, he starts out full steam ahead. He tells the Corinthians, they are not spiritual, but fleshly. Fleshy. Fleshly. Both. And he has to speak to them as though they were children, giving them milk and not the solid food of Scripture. I see the calves that were born here recently because we bred the cows at the wrong time of the year. <laughs> Don't do that. So they're born in a snowstorm, but that happened to us. Anyway, I see them out there suckling on their mothers and then they go experiment with this hay that I feed them. And they don't like that. They want the milk. They, Mom, what are you eating that stuff for? You don't know what you're missing. Well, as a calf, as a newborn, that's fine. That's just fine. But as you progress through your Christian life, you become more and more in need of the meat of the of the Spirit, of the, of the, the Scripture. So, what's happening is there's theology. The theology that the Corinthians have is not resulting in good behavior. It's bad theology. <laughs> Their factionalism and party spirit is leading to disunity and not unity. It's, he uses the analogy in this section. He's going to use the, one of the analogies he'll use is construction to show them that the foundation was laid by him by grace, by the grace of the Holy Spirit. But the buildings that have been placed on that foundation are not all spiritually proper buildings. He will also revisit the difference between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. And he'll finish up this chapter, chapter three, by reminding the Corinthians that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and Christ belongs to God and they need to begin acting like it. So, we need to begin acting like the family we belong to. So, in first, uh, chapter three, verse one, and I, brethren, he says, I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He castigates the Corinthians. He has to speak to them as babes in Christ, fleshly carnal men, when they should be at the point of discerning good and evil and acting upon that discernment. 
Um, they are rather at the point of practicing the evil that they should be discerning and avoiding. It's the same thing that happened when Peter contradicted the Lord. And he said that he didn't have to die. Jesus had to speak to him as a carnal man, as a babe, and say, get behind me. He had to do that with Peter. The divisions in the church, and, and how much of that is just speaking before thinking? <laughs> I wonder, I, I can really identify with Peter in some ways. Talking, putting, my, my dad said, you always put your mouth into gear. No, how did he say it? You always engage your mouth before you put your brain into gear. I can't remember how he said it. He had a really good way of saying it. I'll have to think about that. Say that again. Yeah, it was something like that. Engage your brain before you put your mouth in gear. <laughs> and, and I understood what he meant. So it was the same thing with Peter. The divisions in the church were at root caused by this. Um, he had to speak to him as a carnal man, and Paul had to speak to the, Christian, the Christians in Corinth as into carnal men. They had not spent the time to be able to spiritually discern uh, the things that they should be doing. Rather, they had acted out of the same motives that drove them before they were Christians, before they were saved. Their worldview had not materially changed. The way they looked at the things in the world, how things happened, how things put together, what I should be doing, had not materially changed. Paul does call them brethren, though. And he says, and I, brethren. He calls them brethren, and that's significant. He loves and he cares for them. But he is aghast at their behavior. And, and we all know how that can be. You can love someone and yet just be frustrated and discouraged and, and concerned about their behavior. Most of them have been Christians. Hey, they have been Christians for several years at least. But they were acting as if they had just trusted Christ and their behavior had not significantly been altered. True enough, they were positionally seated at the right hand of Christ and therefore fully spiritual, if you will. But practically, they were unspiritual. So while they were brethren... That is, believers, just as certainly as Paul was, and they were seated at the right hand of God, they were fleshly, unspiritual, misbehaving children. Paul had, to, had ministered to them for about 18 months, and then um, they were left in the care of Apollos as their pastor. I'm thinking this might have been five years later. I mean, I can't understand it happened a couple thousand years ago, so I can't for sure, but this is probably five years into their spiritual life. Their immaturity really had no excuse. They simply refused to give up their worldly ways and they let their previous worldview inform their decisions and their actions. And so Paul treats them exactly as he needs to, as inspired by the Holy Spirit. To clarify this so that we don't misunderstand, there are two people, you've heard this, there are two kinds of people in the world. People who love bacon and people who hate bacon. And we're done. To clarify this, Paul says, essentially, there are two kinds of people, unregenerate and regenerate. Every Christian is regenerate. Every Christian is positionally spiritual at salvation. We will not be permanently spiritual, unfortunately, if you will, until the redemption of the body when Christ returns. During our everyday life, we can either act spiritual or we can act carnal. We can act unspiritual. Fleshly is the word that Paul uses here. It's not simply referring to being bodies of flesh, but rather it, it refers to men and women acting in a fleshly way. Remember this epistle is about good theology producing good behavior and bad theology producing bad behavior. Natural men are unregenerate. Spiritual men are regenerate. But they can act in a fleshly way. And when they do that, they are being carnal. There are, so there are not spiritual and carnal Christians. 
there are spiritual Christians who are acting in a fleshly way, in a carnal way. So, and I, brethren, could not speak to you, he said. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual. I couldn't bring to you more spiritual illumination. I had to speak to you as babes. That means he has to reestablish the foundational things. He has to give them milk again. And it should have been, and I'm certain it was to those who were paying attention, uh, a rebuke, a serious rebuke. Any questions or comments about verse 1? Verse 2. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. It's a natural thing to feed a newborn with milk, is it not? You don't, a baby comes out of the womb and you don't hand them prime rib. They'll cock an eyebrow and say, what meaneth this? In their own little baby way. That's King James for Give me milk. Following hard on his castigation of the Corinthians at the end of chapter 2, Paul admonishes them that when they should be advanced beyond the ABCs of the gospel, he must rebuild the foundation that they apparently did not get the first time. Now, they got it enough to trust Christ, to become believers. But it seems to have stopped there. It seems to have been... I can't think of a good character. Stillborn would be the wrong word. But it seems to just have stopped there so that they had to be fed milk again. How does he know they didn't get it? How do we know when someone doesn't get the spiritual teachings of the Scripture? It's because of their behavior. We can't see into people's lives, into their hearts. We can't see into their minds. But we can see their behavior. And there is, there is great good can come from proper admonishment of wrong behavior. But that's being judgmental. Yep. The right kind of judgmental. The right kind of judgmental. I don't know your heart. But if you're slapping people around who disagree with you, uh, that's not exactly the way the Lord intended for us to deal with differences of opinion. Would you help him up off the floor? Crino. We're supposed to be forensically capable of seeing the difference between right and wrong. That means studying, thinking it through, going to Scripture, asking the Lord in prayer as necessary, going to counselors and teachers if you need it, but capable of discerning the difference between right and wrong and able to articulate that to someone who needs to hear it in a kind and considerate way, but necessarily maybe a firm way. Well, no, always a firm way. Not so that it can be clear that as you are communicating a truth, you are not one that is tossed around by every wind of doctrine. You have been able by your, your senses have been exercised to discern good and evil, as it says, it says in first Corinthians, in Hebrews. That means you've been, you've been obedient to the word. Your senses, you have been one who is under the, the admonition of the Holy Spirit when you were wrong and you've confessed it, you've made it right, and you've, you've li- you are living according to to the Scripture because of God's grace in your life. Not because you're the coolest person on the planet. None of us are. Jesus is the only one who lived it perfectly because of who He was. We can live it because of who He is. Not because of who we are. So, when a believer is in fact a newborn believer, there's a sense that they will crave the milk in a proper way. And when you see a newborn Christian get excited about doctrines that you've known for years, get excited with them. Be delighted. It's, it was, it's new, it's invigorating, it's wonderful. And so, in First Peter, he says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. So there's a proper, there's a proper aspect of longing for the, the, the Word. 
so that, why? So you'll be smarter than everybody else. So you'll have one up on the, the bad guys. No. He says, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Your salvation will be a benchmark, and from that benchmark you will be able to trace linear growth. Now, it's, sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back. But it's forward progress, is it not? Are you different than you were 20 years ago? Well, some of you are not that old, but those of you that are, are you different? It's okay to say yes. It's the work of God in your life. You ought to be different. It's not like a car that wears out every, in 20 years. You're renewed. You're reinvigorated. Spiritually, you're growing. You're becoming more like the Son of God. So that as it says in 1 John, we will be like Him because we will see Him like He is, as He is. So Paul says to this, he said, these believers should have been far beyond this. Many of them had been believers for years and they should have advanced beyond the stage of the basics of the gospel. It's informative to us to recognize that bad behavior will get in the way of appropriating scripture. It's like God says, well, if you're not going to act on the light I've given you, I will, I'm going to hold the light until you act on that light. He will not give us further light. In order for a house to be built, the foundation must be secure and properly constructed. Building on sand, whether by an unbeliever or by a believer. When I say an unbeliever, I'm talking about actually building a house on sand. Um, we were just talking about a road that sank. I was talking, um, as you're coming in on the byway, as you come across, the, I think it's the bridge down to the, to the, to the, um, to the beach. There's a bump. There's, a, there's a, a bump. Pretty good bump. That was caused by improperly. Now, I'm not a road engineer, but I know one. And this is what he told me. <laughs> that was probably caused by improperly compacting or filling or the improper um, fill that was put there. Uh, he told me, as a matter of fact, he came in, it's a guy that used to be the road director when I was a county commissioner, and he's now the director in the city. And he came in and we were talking about stuff, and, and he talked about the fact that sometimes they would put in a culvert the year before they were going to do the road, so that any settling that happened, he said, we would always put in the right fill. We would always compact it to the right density. But he said, we're human. So we put that culvert in a year ahead. We build the foundation so that later on we could build on that foundation knowing that it would support what we were doing. And uh, that way any settling would happen. They could take care of it. So Paul says, I fed you with milk. I built the foundation. But you were not able to bear it. Neither... Are you now able to bear it? <laughs> In the book of Hebrews, the writer, <clears throat> who's also very likely Paul, but he castigates a group of believers who should have been beyond the basics. He says that the believers there should actually have been teaching, but were still in need of being taught. Does it scare you to teach? Those of you, you're not going to shake your head because you're scared to shake your head about being scared to teach, but that's okay. Uh, as you become more and more founded in the Word of God, He wants you to teach. There are those around you who need it. And you can give it to them in a way that Jim can't or Justin can't because they don't know Him. Or you can bring them. That's another aspect you can do. But those who need the teaching that are in your circle of friends, that's what God has put you there for. At any rate, with these Hebrews, they were not properly discerning good and evil, and were very likely not spending the time they needed in the Word to find out what was good and evil. He says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he says to them, 
You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Who because of practice, obedience, living according to what the Holy Spirit is impressing in your life through the Scripture. And so he says at the beginning, when I first met you, when I first founded this church, I fed you with the milk of the gospel because you were not able to bear the meat at first. And that is normal. But now here, five years later, I still have to, I'm, I'm guessing, five years later, I still have to feed you with milk because you are still without the power to assimilate further teaching. This is not a concern about a group of people who can't understand. For indeed, if they are believers, and they will simply be obedient to the word that they have been given, their senses will be exercised. And the training will come that will allow them to discern and be able to be taught the deeper things of the gospel. The only thing that prevents someone from absorbing the greater teachings of the gospel is disobedient, pride, and an unwillingness to deal with the sin that the study of the word reveals in one's life. How often is it that as I'm, for me, as I'm studying to, to present stuff in Sunday school, I read stuff and I go, I get, this has got to change in my life. I can't, I can't be this. And that's what the Word is for. That's one of the main things that the Word is for, is to conform us to the image of Christ. And that conforming can be painful at times. can be difficult, but it's necessary. They were resisting it. We can know that because of their behavior. The discerning of good of evil, the discerning of good and evil starts with our own hearts. It started or should have started with the Corinthians' hearts, but they would not deal with the evil in their hearts. And so they were taking each other to court over, I get the impression, silly things. And I see that's when I was, like I said, when I was county office, I saw that so often. People wanting to use the power of government to make their neighbors do what they thought they ought to do. It's just, and, I, and on occasion I would ask people who I thought I knew, I would say, well, you talk to your neighbor? I ain't going to talk to him. Okay, there you go. So it started, I said, or should have started with the Corinthians' hearts, but they wouldn't deal with the evil in their hearts. And so they were taking each other to court. They were committing horrifying sexual sins and they were resisting the grace of God in their pride. And so it must be said again that to the obedient Christians, nothing will be hidden. One commentator put it this way. He said, the difference between milk and solid food, again, let me preface this. That doesn't mean that there's an elite group of Christians who are going to understand the gospel better than anybody else. On the one hand, it doesn't mean that. On the other hand, it does. That elite group of Christians is simply the humble ones who will submit to the Word of God. Everybody has opportunity to know exactly everything God wants them to know about the Scripture. There's no elite group who's smarter or better or more spiritually informed or has a, a, a higher calling, if you will. That doesn't exist in Christianity. But, and, and so, everyone can be taught all the truths of the Scripture. But a wise teacher will start with the foundational material and then build upon that step by step. So, this, this commentator said this. He said, the difference between milk and solid food is one of degrees, not kind. Every doctrine, doc, now get this, every doctrine that can be taught in seminary can be taught to children, though not in the same words. 
There are not two Gospels, one for the learned and one for the unlearned. There is no part of the Gospel that is, that is authorized to be kept back from the people. And so, a teacher's responsibility is to, to propound the whole counsel of God. But it has to be done in steps, it has to be done in stages, and it has to be done appropriate to age. And so, we're going to look at something here in a minute. And so it is that a babe in Christ may understand that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who is God, a babe in Christ can understand this. He came down. He, Jesus Christ, came down, became a man, suffered and died, and paid the penalty of sinful man, thus freeing men from sin. This would be milk, but it is wonderful milk. For those who would have their senses exercised to discern good and evil, they would recognize that, for example, and Jim went through this several months ago, there are those who believe that in this concept we have a situation in which his, Jesus Christ's two natures, were mixed, or that he was a God-man. Deeper inquiry comparing Scripture with Scripture and studying the concepts given yields a very different picture to the Christian who wants at the meat of Scripture. Jim taught this, I said, some time ago, but it's not a bad idea to review simply as a demonstration as a difference between meat. One demonstration is a difference between milk and meat. So, the hypostatic union. Jesus, and that's a... What is it? Three hypostatic, four four syllable word that tells us about the, the 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 fact that Jesus has two natures. It's not a milk word; it's a meat word. But the concept can be taught to children. But if for deeper inquiry, this is just an example. He is Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived since he is the Savior. I got this out of uh, Apologetics Online. Carm Apologetics Online. Um, he is not half God. Excuse me. I'm going to start again. Jesus is the most important person who has ever lived since he is the Savior, God in human flesh. He is not half God and half man. He is fully divine and fully man. In other words, Jesus has two distinct natures, divine and human. Jesus is the Word who was God and who was with God and was made flesh, John 1.1 and 1.14. This means that in the single person of Jesus Christ, he has both human and divine nature, God and man. The divine nature was not changed when the Word became flesh. John 1, 1 and 1, 14. Instead, the word was joined with humanity, Colossians 2, 9. Jesus' divine nature was not altered. Also, Jesus was not merely a man who had God within him. Nor is he a man who manifested the God principle. These are some of the things that have, inerrant, have errantly come out of this. He is God in flesh, second person of the Trinity. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus' two natures are not mixed together, Eutychianism, nor are they combined into a new God-man nature, monophysitism. They are separate, yet act as a unit in the one person of Jesus. This is called the hypostatic union. And so this is the meat, and here's a chart. You can see that as God, he is worshipped, Matthew 2, 2, 11 and 14, 33. As man, he worshipped the Father. As God, he was called God, John 20, 28, Hebrews 1, 8, and many other places. This is just a couple. And as man, he was called man, Mark 15.39 and John 19.5. As God, he was called the Son of God, Mark 1.1. 1, 1. As man, he was called the Son of Man, John 9.35-37. As God, he prayed. To, he is prayed to, Acts 7.59. As man, he prayed to the Father, John 17. As God, he is sinless, 1 Peter 2.22, Hebrews 4.15 and other places. As man, he was tempted, Matthew 4.1. As God, he knows all things, John 21, 17. Omniscient. Jesus is omniscient. But as man, 
He grew in wisdom. As God, He, Jesus, gives eternal life. John 10.28 But as man, He died. Romans 5.8 As God, He, all the fullness of deity dwells in Him. Colossians 2.9 As man, in Luke, there's one of, the one, one of the most marvelous verses in Scripture where the disciples were afraid. And He says, why are you afraid? Do you not see that I, I'm not a spirit? I have flesh and bones? Luke 24.39 Oops, I always point at the screen. That's brilliant. So, that would be the meat as you would get into what you were taught in Sunday school at the age of eight, that Jesus was God who came down and died as a man and saved all of humanity from their sins if they will but trust Him. You can look into it deeper. You can find out the misuses of it, the misunderstandings of it. And that's the meat of the Scripture. And then you begin to compare Scripture with Scripture and you begin to realize that He was perfect he was obedient to the Father. And He expects us to be obedient. Now it gets down into your life. It, it steps down into your life. Obedience. Trusting Christ. The, the sinless Son of God who will, by the Holy Spirit, empower us to begin to act and to live like Him. To become not a God-man, just people who obey the Lord of, who obey the Lord of creation. So, any questions about verse 2? Or comments? Further information? Verse 3. For you are still fleshy. Fleshly. I get those two mixed up. There's two different words actually. For you are still fleshly. For since there is... And how do I know, he says? How do I know you're fleshly? For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? Did you know we're not supposed to walk like mere men? Now, I don't want us to get all puffed up and strut around. It's all the work of God. But the fact is, born-again believers are not mere people anymore. They're indwelt by the third person of the Trinity. They're indwelt by God. The reason Paul has to feed them with milk rather than meat, they're still fleshly. Fleshing, as the word indicates. And how does he know this? As I said, because of their behavior. They're no longer mere men in the sense that they are just the average, everyday person walking around living his life. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and they have been lifted out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. All by a work of Christ. They are children of the King. They are the bride of Christ. They are the elect, the chosen. But their behavior marks them in Corinth as if they were just mere men. Someone coming into their fellowship so, how many lawsuits do you have in this church? He would say. He would see them as no different than the world around them. Unsaved, it would, it would look like they were unjustified, unsaved, headed for perdition. The world looking upon them would see no difference between them and the average Greek philosopher. Again, their behavior belies their Christianity. The word for strife, by the way, here, um, I mean, that's actually the next section, but jealousy and strife. Jealousy is a dangerous thing. It produces uh, a desire for things that are not yours, that God may not want you to have at that time, but it also, it can cause some of the most heinous crimes jealousy can. We're not to be jealous. And this word strife, this was an interesting word. It doesn't just mean difficulties between people. It's actually a Greek word that we've heard before. It describes someone who enjoys contention. I like Someone who likes to, to step in and cause a problem 
and then either step back and watch it happen or keep pushing it. Keep just goading and punching and, and pricking and hurting. Someone who likes contention. That's what was happening in Corinth. This would have come from the Greek philosophy and the framework that they lived in. The Greeks loved wrangling and arguing about philosophical issues. This, this has no place in the church. And it causes division. It causes hurt. It causes destruction. Uh, I struggle with that myself. Sometimes, sometimes it's... No, I won't say it. But it seems like sometimes it's fun just to prod things and see what happens. It's the wrong thing to do. We're to be healers. We're to be those who seek peace. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be firm when improper doctrine and, and wrong behavior is happening. But to provoke things just to see how you can stir them up, that's what, they were, that, that's, that's what this word means. It's a ha-ha-ha, kind of, look what I did. Everybody's fighting each other and I caused it. That's pretty cool. That causes division, disunity, and hurt. So what does have place in the church when these things happen? In his advice to Timothy, Paul outlines the way a mature believer will deal with differences. And that's what I have up here. First Timothy, Second Timothy 4.2 Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Someone who takes the time. This means that we understand that these kinds of things are individual things. When Jim stands up every Sunday and, and proclaims the Word of God, He's doing part of what he's called to do. There's another part where individuals come to him or come to any one of the elders and say, what about? And that's where we are, by God's grace, to reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Now, I will say this. The Corinthians loved the reprove, rebuke, and the reprove and rebuke. Probably what they didn't like was the exhort with great patience and instruction. That takes time. That takes involvement in people's lives. That takes love and care and concern. And those are the kinds of folks that you want dealing in that particular position in churches. Second Timothy 2, 23-26 But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations. And we have so many of those. Uh, I mean, I see so many. I read Facebook and I go, really? Do people still believe this stuff? Or are they just doing what the Corinthians did, trying to provoke? You know, I mean... The gods came to earth in a lunchbox. They had a Stanley thermos. And when they, it was a vacuum-packed thermos. I'm making this up, you might guess. But, I mean, some of it is just that silly. Refuse with foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant, Paul says to the Corinthians, to Timothy, and the Corinthians would be reading this, must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to most people. No, kind to all. Able to teach. Patient when wronged. Have you found yourself in a discussion with somebody and in the discussion they wronged you? Patient when wronged. Patient when wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the acknowledging of the, to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That's what's going on. It's people that are held captive. When, when you, have you, I, I'm, I've had to free animals from traps before. They'll bite you, won't they? We had a dog hit in front of our house one time, years and years and years ago when I was a little kid. And I went out to help the dog. It was a German Shepherd. He tried to bite me. I was trying to help the dog. Stupid dog. He was uh, a bit quarrelsome. He was someone who was, he was um, wrong, trying to wrong me. 
I actually wasn't patient with him because <laughs> I didn't want to get bit. I wasn't. I think I got my parents and they called the vet or something. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. It was like 50 years ago. I just remember the dog trying to bite me when I was trying to help him. And that can happen. That can happen to us as we try to help others. So, so when Paul says the Corinthians were walking like mere men, he was saying that they were conducting their lives in an irrational and fleshly way. Their carnality would become the seedbed for ruined morals, damaged interpersonal relationships, milk toast prayer life, and heresy. And we'll see as we get into the later chapters of Corinthians, there's so much going on in this church that we're just untoward, untoward towards the gospel. Carnality flies in the face of proper doctrine and good behavior. And jealousy can be a driving force behind those things. Division is a natural result of jealousy and strife, contentiousness. So he says, are you not walking like mere men? And then the word walk is, uh, and we've all seen this, it's a word that means to make progress, to regulate your life. It means it's how you conduct your life. Uh, and it's the full circle of how you conduct your life. <laughs> it's not so much that they were just being human. It's the simple fact that they who were indwelt by the Holy Spirit were acting just like every other human on the face of the earth. Selfish, immature, prideful, and egotistic. One commentator, and we'll end up with this, one commentator put it this way. He said, being human is not a bad thing in itself. It is a simple fact that they, excuse me, let me start again. Being human is not a bad thing in itself any more than being star, sarkanoi, which is fleshing, is what is intolerable is to have received the spirit which makes one more than merely human, a child of God, which is to have received the spirit which makes more, one more than merely human and to continue to live as if one were nothing more. May God grant us in our day-to-day life the ability and the wisdom to live as though we were something more, not because we're special, but because he is the great God who has redeemed us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you took it upon yourself to redeem sinful humanity. That you did everything that was necessary so that all that was necessary for your children was to do, was to trust, was to believe. And so those of us who are believers, continue, I pray, Lord, to empower us, as you are already doing, to act like it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.